Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 22. Teacher. No one ever told me when I chose to be a doctor and a medical career that I would also be a teacher. But it's true. One of the key roles that you're perhaps unaware of is teaching. From teaching medical students and midwifery students to teaching more junior doctors. And at no point in my medical training or my specialist training did I really have any education as an educator or teacher. That's not quite true now. There are some more formal teaching qualifications one can undertake as a doctor. But at the point I trained, it was really very much an expected part of the job. You just get on with it. And this is problematic because some people have a knack for teaching, have a flair, are good teachers. And some doctors, unsurprisingly, are not good teachers don't take their audience with them or don't set the right tone. One of my worst experiences of being taught as a medical student was the so-called teaching by humiliation. A very esteemed orthopaedic professor literally demolished me in front of a room of other students, making me cry. Is it any wonder, therefore, that orthopaedics was actually the only specialty that I nearly failed. I scraped a pass. I never looked back. I never wanted to have anything to do with orthopaedics again. So how we're taught and what our teachers are like is really crucial and therefore equally how we teach others. There's a bit less assumption now that we will all teach in terms of some of the more structured teaching we do. But we still are very much day-to-day teaching, supervising students and more junior doctors. With a bit more guidance on adult learning styles and education, but not a lot. Teaching as a doctor starts very early on in your career. You may have heard of the medical saying, see one, do one, teach one starting teaching something almost as soon as we've mastered it ourselves. That was certainly true in the early part of my career. Okay, maybe we did more than one or saw more than one, but things like cannulation, putting in an IV line or doing a lumbar puncture were practical procedures expected of us. And we did watch someone do one and then do one under supervision and then as soon as we were proficient teach other people. An example might be taking blood as medical students. 
We had a rotor, so we had to do all the daily bloods on the wards. There wasn't any such thing as the phlebotomy service coming around and doing them with professionals who were used to dealing with tricky veins. Just two or three medical students a day allocated. And that was good experience. Practice makes perfect and all that. But I pity the poor patients now. I think back, we left a trail of bruises behind us in our wake. Unwell, frail patients with not much option to really say no. We would just turn up and say, we need to take your blood test and do it. Stitching in A&E was also a bit similar. Supported, supervised, but very much trying out our skills. Back to the see one, do one, teach one type of progress. Now there is much more simulation. So students get to practice on mannequins. If you go up to the education centre, there's a whole room of limbs, arms. Looks a bit odd, but they're arms with veins so that we can teach medical students to take blood and sight an intravenous line. And also nurses now and midwives undertake these procedures in their extended roles. And again, they get to practice on the mannequins before moving on to real people. You're probably relieved to hear that. Lifelong learning is a very key element of being a doctor. We all have to undertake something called continuing professional development or CPD to make sure we're up to date and aware of the latest evidence that we've read articles and we know the changes in national guidance. We need to demonstrate this evidence not only to the GMC, the General Medical Council and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists to continue in our registration. But we also need to do annual mandatory training in the all-important maternity emergencies so that when one happens, we're ready and can quickly click into what to do. And this is mandatory at the level of the hospital, but is also something that has been recognised nationally as an important thing to do. Teaching these mandatory maternity training skills can be challenging because some of the topics don't change much. And if you're teaching much the same topic annually to almost the same audience, you need to do enough to refresh people, remind people, remind them of the key themes and keep them interested. Some of the topics have been very much the same for many years. Some of them are a bit more updated. Perhaps a new treatment has started or there's a new manoeuvre or new video we can use, but some of them stay very much the same year after year. So we have to find more and more inventive ways to teach. When I started as a consultant, I made all my own content. So I had to write all the presentations, make up all the case discussions and work together with our practice development midwife to try out new ideas. Now it's much more prescribed the teaching. We have a so-called faculty, a group of consultants that teach and others that, that don't. And we have things like 
MOE, which stands for Managing Obstetric Emergencies and Trauma, and PROMPT, Practical Obstetric Multiprofessional Training. These are both methods that have a published manual, that have online resources, and a lot of credibility as very good structured ways of remembering key information and how to tackle things. And none of it is rocket science. So Prompt, for example, has been very much praised and it is an excellent way of providing training. But it's not really that different from what we were doing when we had to make it all up ourselves, apart from the fact that we get to swap ideas with other people, other maternity units and what training they're doing. And we get to incorporate our presentations into their presentations. So we've got the basis for the training we're going to do and then we can tailor it a little bit to what are the issues we're seeing in our hospital. And we often take the findings of risk cases and and feed them into training so that we can try and work on the things that we know are problems for our own unit. Both MOE and PROMPT have very simple algorithms and checklists in an emergency and that's really useful because you might see something that's really uncommon and to keep the woman safe you can just click into automatic. So one part of your brain is just working through automatic which is usually A, B, C airway, breathing, circulation, basic resuscitation, whilst the other part of your brain is thinking through what are the possible diagnoses, what are the more complicated maternity things we need to think about. But it just gives you that moment on automatic pilot in a way that keeps the woman safe, but gives you a bit of headspace in which to think what next An example of one of the topics we might teach would be an eclamptic fit. Eclampsia has actually become less frequent during the course of my career, partly due to more preventative treatment sometimes being prescribed. So eclampsia occurs about four or five cases per 10,000 maternities. So in an average size obstetric unit where you're seeing four or 5,000 births a year, you might only see one or possibly two cases a year in an average maternity unit. And if you've got a couple of hundred staff, the chance of the person who's totally up to date with how to treat that, that one case that might come through, means that everybody needs to be trained. So we have to train everyone in how to manage an eclamptic fit. We do quite a lot of simulation now and we have specific mannequins that help us mimic obstetric conditions. But for an eclamptic fit, having a mannequin mimic an eclamptic fit is actually incredibly difficult. It's not very realistic. So we tend to fall to acting. And I have spent several years with one of my colleagues acting the most impressive, fantastic eclamptic fit, falling on the floor, tonic-clonic seizure. And sometimes we do this in the education centre 
when we're doing a full day of training. Or sometimes it might just be, it's a bit of a quiet day on Labour Ward. And some of us that are teaching think, okay, let's do a drill. And we don't usually tell anyone we're doing it. We might go into a free birth room and we prepare everything and then we'll pull the emergency buzzer as if it's a real case and it'll say emergency in room 28 and then the team that are on that day will come running and when they come in they'll see my colleague, my midwifery colleague lying on the floor having what appears to be an eclamptic fit. That might sound ridiculous but actually then not only can we teach and practice how to manage an eclamptic fit, we can think about the practical aspects of how do we get her off the floor, safely onto the bed, do we need to go to theatre and all the staff that we might need and all the equipment we might need. So it's not just about the clinical management, it's also about the other things that you learn through simulation. Sometimes we do simulation of hemorrhage and we actually let the lab know that we're going to be running a training exercise and that one of the staff is going to make a call to the blood bank. And that's important to practice because when we're asking for blood in a big bleed, we could ask for fully cross-matched blood or group-specific blood or O-negative blood. O-negative blood is the universal donor. So if you don't have time to get fully cross-matched blood where the laboratory have got to match it up against the woman's blood, if you need blood very quickly, you need O-negative blood. So it's important for staff to practice making that phone call and for blood bank to be asking them those questions so that when they go to the phone in a real situation, they know what they're expecting to be asked and what they need to answer. So the person making a phone call needs to already know how urgently do we need blood? When we're calling for blood, do we want O negative or do we want fully cross-matched? So we make people phone the actual number and have the actual conversation and also to practice handover. From our training and simulation, not only do we keep ourselves up to date and teach ourselves, but we pick up things that are quite trivial, but really important. For example, we've got some doors on a link corridor between our maternity unit and the rest of the hospital. And all of us in maternity know how to get through those doors and what the door code is. But the cardiac arrest team who come, thankfully, extremely rarely to maternity, didn't know the code to the door. So one of the things we learned from simulation was just send someone to open the door so that they can come through really easily without any hassle. Some of the other things we do to make teaching more interesting are perhaps play acting, the distraction of a difficult partner or family member who's being obstructive and and getting in the way and asking a lot of questions. So can you manage a clinical situation with the reality of that distressed distraction. One of the other things that we've looked at is estimating blood loss. 
and using various combinations of fake blood with ketchup, food colouring and more. We've got photographs of having put various specific amounts of blood into our birthing pools. It's very difficult to estimate blood loss in the birthing pool. Obviously, any blood is very diluted and it can be really important when a woman is bleeding to accurately estimate how much blood she's lost. So we've done simulations where we've used old, out-of-date transfusion blood that can't be used to put in the birthing pool and then take pictures and get people to guess how much is this blood loss, how much is that blood loss. And the same with putting it on a sanitary towel or on the bed sheets or on an inco. That's an uh, a pad we put underneath women on the bed to soak up any amniotic fluid or blood or urine. And it can be very difficult when there's blood on those objects to correctly estimate it. So we may have wet things that people can pick up and hold and see how heavy it is. Or we may have photographs we've taken so that we can reuse them again that give people an idea of this is what 20 mils, 20 millilitres of blood looks like. This is what 500 millilitres of blood looks like. This is what a litre of blood looks like and so on. One of the other key things we train on is having a shoulder dystocia. There are different manoeuvres you can do to try and release the shoulders. So I can mess around with what position is the woman in. I can mess around with the situation. Perhaps she's at home, at home birth, and also which manoeuvre may or may not release the baby. So teaching can be a bit of a giggle. We often have a lot of fun And although it's training for some really serious situations, it can be a really enjoyable day. I like to integrate the experiences I've had into my teaching. So I will talk about specific women I've cared for during the course of my career, what my experiences are, because it's all very well learning about dry clinical situations, but bringing a bit of real life, telling them about when I managed this, that and the other complication and problem and how the woman presented, how she responded to treatment, what we did, how we did it, why we did it can be really good and makes it more memorable, helps it stick in in people's minds. And often if I do that, other people chip in with their experiences so we can have a conversation as a group And often I'll ask in a group, has anyone seen someone with, I don't know, for example, a pulmonary embolus? Has anyone seen someone with a cord prolapse? And then we can have a conversation and and share what our experiences and what the outcomes were and how did it go? And that always gets incredibly positive feedback. I think people really like hearing the reality and and what we've learned from our experiences of doing our actual job. Some teaching can be the other way around. So it doesn't have to be that we as consultants are always teaching. In fact, trainees teach us a lot. 
trainees studying for exams can often keep us up to date and a specialty trainee who's studying for their part two membership exam can be an absolute fountain of knowledge. That is often the time in their career where they know absolutely every single fact, every single new piece of information or guidance and can really educate and upskill the rest of us that are perhaps a little bit more rusty, perhaps getting a bit more out of date. Because some conditions you will see every day and be able to teach and talk about easily, some things you'll see a bit less frequently or perhaps there's been an update. And it's a little bit the same with medical students. Sometimes in my clinic, when medical students ask me a question, some of the time I will give them the answer and it'll be easy. Sometimes it'll be something that I'll say, yeah, I think it's something to do with this. I can't quite remember. So perhaps it's a drug. I can't quite remember the pharmacology or the mechanism of action why don't you go and look it up? And then next time we're in clinic together, you can tell me what you found out and remind me. So teaching can be both ways. Obviously, now we're coming to a new era of teaching and we're experimenting using virtual teaching. We're probably going to use more video. We have been experimenting with teaching on Teams and Zoom and also teaching on WhatsApp. So we're probably moving into a new era of teaching where perhaps we won't all be in a group all together all the time, which will be a shame, but perhaps the new methodologies will bring us new benefits and and new ideas. For today's zesty bit, I want you to think as a teacher about how to make your topic interesting bring real life lived experience, both yours and that of the women, that women that you have perhaps cared for into the teaching session, makes it much more memorable, makes it much more likely to be retained by your audience, makes it much more interesting. And also as a teacher, be humble, appreciate that as a teacher, you're also a learner and that People you are teaching have valuable things to contribute to and that by having a discussion and pooling that wealth of experience in the room and knowledge in the room, you will run a much better teaching session. As a pregnant woman, I hope it's been interesting to hear how much we teach and learn as part of our day-to-day jobs and know that if you are being seen perhaps with a slightly unusual condition or something less common, we may ask you about your experiences and we may anonymise and use your case so that we can benefit other women and learn and teach from your experience. And I've often asked women under my care if they're willing for me to do that and for them to share how they felt whilst they were unwell and what that can help us learn and understand about treating women with that condition in the future. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. 
If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the OBSPOD to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at FWMaternity and at the OBSPOD. And please do check the MATEXP hashtag, hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past, very safe. Many thanks for listening.